welcome to another episode of Two Pillars Podcast. Today is a two-part series called Lessons Learned from the Animal School Fable about strengths and weaknesses and what it teaches us about our spiritual gifts. <laughs> it's a long title, I, I know, so bear with me. You know, the Animal School Fable, for those that don't know it, is such a great fable. It's actually one of the most uh, read posts in my blog, Lead, Grow, Develop. And a great fable is not only evergreen, but teaches a great lesson. The Animal School Fable by George Rievis is one that teaches us the importance of focusing on our strengths. Too many of us, and I'm one of them, worry about our weaknesses and forget to leverage our core skills. Companies have their teams create development plans aimed at their opportunities, but say nothing about how to leverage their strengths. Let's take a lesson from the Animal School Fable. The Animal School Fable by George Rievis. Once upon a time, the animals decided they must do something heroic to meet the problems of a new world, so they organized a school. They had adopted an activity curriculum consisting of running, climbing, swimming, and flying. To make it easier to administer the curriculum, all the animals took the subjects. The duck was excellent in swimming, in fact better than his instructor, but he made only passing grades in flying and was very poor in running. Since he was too slow in running, he had to stay after school and also drop swimming in order to practice running. This was kept up until his webbed feet were badly worn and he was only average in swimming. But average was acceptable in school, so nobody worried about that except the duck. The rabbit started at the top of the class in running, but had a nervous breakdown because of so much makeup work in swimming. The squirrel was excellent in climbing, but he developed frustration in the flying class when his teacher made him start from the ground up instead of the tree chop treetop down. He also developed a charley horse from overexertion and then got a C in climbing and D in running. The eagle was a problem child and was disciplined severely. In the climbing class, he beat all the others to the top of the tree but insisted on using his own way to get there. At the end of the year, an abnormal eel that could swim exceedingly well and also run, climb and fly a little had the highest average and was valedictorian. The prairie dog stayed out of school and fought the tax levy because the administration would not add digging and burrowing to the curriculum. They apprenticed their children to a badger and later joined the groundhogs and gophers to start a successful private school. Besides the humor behind it, this fable does have a moral. So what's the lesson you take from this fable? Let the duck swim? Let the rabbits, ra rabbits run? The eagles fly? We don't want a school of average ducks. Play to your strengths. If you don't use your talents, eventually you lose your talents. If you build on your strengths enough, your weaknesses become irrelevant. There is a great temptation to fix ourselves or others by investing time to improve on our areas of opportunities. Instead, focus on how your strengths can get you to where you need to go. Your strengths are needed somewhere. How can you find it? 
You can team up with people who are good at what you are not good at and make that team stronger. Which animal from the story above do you relate most with? Which talent will you let shine today? Because we all have our have some a talent somewhere. Yes, you have a talent somewhere. You can take this same story and apply it to what is known as spiritual gifts. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are unique skills and abilities given by the Holy Spirit to faithful followers of Christ to serve God for the common benefit of his people and the church. In the 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 8 to 10 it says, To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. Did you catch what they were? The Bible actually speaks to 15 spiritual gifts, but for this episode, we will focus on nine. Let's first quickly review all 15 spiritual gifts that God has given to his people. The gift of administration. The ability to help steer the church or ministry toward the successful completion of God-given goals with skills in planning, organization, and supervision. Is that you? If not, what about the gift of the apostle? A person sent to new places with the gospel. You may have heard of missionaries going to different countries to help spread the word. They could be described as apostles. An apostle can also provide leadership to other churches or ministries and offer advice on spiritual matters. There is the gift of discernment, the wisdom to recognize truth from untruth by correctly evaluating, evaluating whether behavior or teaching is from God or another source. The gift of evangelism. The ability to successfully communicate the message of the gospel, especially to non-believers. Did you ever hear that one sermon from that preacher that just got to your heart and filled you with the Holy Spirit? Chances are that that pastor at that moment was sharing his gift of or her gift of, of evangelism the gift of exhortation competence in offering encouragement comfort and support to help someone be all that god wants them to be the gift of faith people with this gift have such a great confidence in the power and promises of god that they can stand strong in their belief no matter what may try to shake them. They can also stand up for the church and for their faith in such a way as to defend and move it forward. There are some great examples of people with gifts of faith in the Bible. Uh, I did a series uh, back early in my podcast, a faith series that I welcome you to listen to if you haven't already. The gift of giving. Those who have this gift are particularly willing and able to share what resources they have with pleasure and without the need to see them return. This is such a great gift to have. The gift of healing. 
a capability used by God to restore others, be that physically, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually. The gift of helps. Someone with this gift is able to support or assist members of the body of Christ so that may be free to administer to others. You know, a church has so many members and each member is so important. It's not only the priest that is critical to the success of the church, but everyone that supports and helps the church, allowing the priest more time to devote to his ministry. The gift of hospitality. People with this gift have a natural ability to make people, even strangers, feel welcome in one's own home or church as a means to disciple or serve them. The gift of knowledge. This is the gift of someone who actively pursues knowledge of the Bible. This person may also enjoy analyzing biblical data. Gift of leadership. This aptitude marks a person who is able to stand before church to direct the body with care and attention and to motivate them toward achieving the church's goal. The gift of mercy. This is the defining trait of a person with great sensitivity for those who are suffering. It manifests itself in offering compassion and encouragement and in the love for giving practical help to someone in need. The gift of prophecy is the ability to speak the message of God to others. This sometimes involves foresight or visions of what is to come. This skill should be used only to offer encouragement or warning. Four more. The gift of serving, a talent for identifying tasks needed for the body of Christ and using available resources to get the job done. The gift of speaking in tongues. It's a supernatural ability to speak in another language, one that has not been learned. The gift of teaching is a skill to teach from the Bible and communicate it effectively for the understanding and spiritual growth of others. I hope that um, this that I can be given the gift of teaching or that it gets strengthened in me. Sometimes I feel like I have all these words or thoughts in my mind for the Bible and it doesn't always come out the way I wish it would especially when I'm speaking to non-believers. And finally, the gift of wisdom. The gift of being able to sort through facts and data to discover what needs to be done for the church. Out of these 15 gifts, which ones do you feel you have? It could be one, it could be two, or even more. Let's review nine of them in detail. Every person has a spiritual gift. Sometimes we try to pray, play a role that doesn't take advantage of our strengths. Remember the animal fable story that I just read. Realize that your gift is just as important as any other. Not one holds more value. So let's review nine of these gifts right now. The first, the gift of knowledge. The spiritual gift of knowledge is also known as the word of knowledge or utterance of knowledge. The Greek word for this gift is gnosis, and it simply means knowledge and understanding. The scriptural emphasis in 1 Corinthians 12.8 is the ability to speak this knowledge to others in a given situation. In the opening passages of 1 Corinthians, 
Paul spoke of knowledge and recognized that the highest form of knowledge among men is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the testimony about Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 4 to 7 speaks of, mentions what we can conclude then is the gift of knowledge is an understanding of the things in this world and in our lives that is founded in the gospel and rooted in the scriptures. This gift is closely related to the gift of wisdom, which is alluded to by Paul in 1 Corinthians. The Holy Spirit gives a spiritual gift to some believers to bring about understanding and to inform the church or individual believers. The person with this gift is usually well-versed in the scriptures and often has much committed to memory. They can retain the truth and communicate it effectively at the appropriate times. The gift of knowledge allows a believer to relate to the scriptures and particularly the gospel of Jesus Christ. To all aspects of life in this world, they can see how it connects to every situation and circumstance and how the reality and truth of the gospel is to inform every decision a Christian makes. See also 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 8, Romans chapter 15 verses 14, and 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 14. C.S. Lewis, mostly known to the world for his books on Narnia, was also a famous theologian who wrote several books on Christianity. One of his more famous quotes was, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. So powerful and beautiful. Some of the most famous Christian theologians gifted with the gift of knowledge are Robert Barron, Scott Hahn, John Lennox, Lee Strobel, Eric Mason, and William Lane Craig. So I invite you to look up any of these uh, famous theologians for more information. I wish I had more of this gift. As I mentioned, I find myself often tug-tied when I try to repeat a famous sermon or thought from one of the mentioned preachers. The second gift, the gift of wisdom. The spiritual gift of wisdom, like the gift of knowledge, is also referred to as the word of wisdom, or utterance, utterance of wisdom. The Greek word for wisdom is Sophia, and refers to the intimate understanding of God's word and his commandments, which results in holy and upright living. In the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8, it means to speak to the life of an individual or a specific situation with great understanding and a righteous perspective with the goal of guiding others towards a life of holiness and worship. Several scriptures reveal the true beauty and fruit of wisdom. Psalm 111 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. It begins with knowing who God is and who we are in comparison to him. That leads to understanding and then to practicing righteousness. A life of wisdom ultimately results in the praise of God. Don't get me wrong. The word fear, when I first read this, I didn't understand why fear would be something we'd want to have, especially towards the Lord. In this situation, fear means 
a reverence to God, putting him first and keeping him top of mind. James 3.17 says, The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. This is undoubtedly a work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. The highest wisdom is found in the cross of Christ, which is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The Holy Spirit gives some of the spiritual gift of wisdom to not only impact the truth and understanding to believers, but to invoke a response of holiness and worship lived out in the world and amongst God's people. Wisdom doesn't end with knowledge, but is expressed in transformed hearts and lives. Those with the gift of wisdom have a deep understanding of the holiness of God and the lack of holiness in their own hearts. They can recognize this in others as well and have the compassion and boldness to share that truth with them. They are able to take from their own life experiences and share what God has taught them through those things. Similar to the gift of knowledge, this gift can at times work in conjunction with the word of knowledge. Sometimes all you need is a direct word of knowledge from the Holy Spirit and it will completely solve the problem or dilemma you are dealing with. However, there will be other times that the word, a word of knowledge will not be quite enough to solve the problem. This is where you now need a word of wisdom. A word of wisdom will give you the ability to be able to properly apply the knowledge that you may already have on a particular situation. Knowledge coupled with wisdom can be powerful. The third gift that we're going to speak to today and then we're going to pause and continue the next gifts on our next episode, is the gift of prophecy. This is probably one of the most controversial or less believed gifts. Spiritual gift of prophecy is an extraordinary, unique gift. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, to pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. This gift is a blessing to the church and should not be quenched or despised. Those who have the gift of prophecy differ from the Old Testament prophets who spoke the authoritative word of God directly. Their words were recorded as scripture as they proclaimed. Example, in 1 Corinthians 14, chapters 29 to 33, it says, Thus says the Lord, whereas the messages from those with the spiritual gift of prophecy must be tested. In the New Testament, the apostles, not the prophets, took over the role of scriptural proclamation from the Old Testament prophets. The Greek word for the gift of prophecy is prophetia, which is the ability to receive a divinely inspired message and deliver it to others in the church. Again, they don't constitute the authoritative word of God, but are the human interpretation of the revelation that was received. It's important distinction. They are spoken in human words through a human mind, which is why they must be tested against the scripture. The Holy Spirit gives the gift of prophecy to some believers to make God's heart known and to edify the church. 
This gift is for the benefit of both believers and unbelievers and is a sign that God is truly among his church. Those with this gift are sensitive to both the prompting of the Holy Spirit and the needs of the church body. They should be humble and continually study the scriptures in order to test these revelations before speaking them. I can't name with certainty anyone that I believe to have um, this gift, especially in modern times. I leave each of that to you to decide. What I can recommend is that you use the counsel in the Bible to test against the relevancy of each self-proclaimed or assumed prophet. And you can find a lot of them in the New Testament. Here are five ways to test a prophet or someone who claims to be prophesying. One, dreams and visions. In scripture, genuine prophets receive prophetic dreams and visions. Second, when a prophet claims to have received from God, it must be in harmony with the rest of God's word because God does not contradict himself. Third, the witness to Jesus. John 4, 2 says, 1 John 4, 2. This is how we know if they have the spirit of God. If a person claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in a real body, that person has the spirit of God. He or she will always point to Jesus Christ. Important, not himself or herself but to Christ. The fourth way is if the prophecy is fulfilled. The proof of a true prophet lies in part in fulfillment of his or her predictions. And finally, the orchard test, which can be found in Matthew 7, verse 20. Wherefore, by your fruits ye shall know them. Important to note that the orchard test can take time. Look at what fruits grow and you will be able to judge the type of tree. We will pause here and continue in the next episode. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to this podcast. If you enjoy Two Pillars Podcast, rate and review it on iTunes. That is the best way to help get this podcast seen. Join me next time for Two Pillars Podcast.